When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. A long, long time ago. (laughs) That almost sounded like the beginning of a song. A long, long time ago, I can still remember when I used to be a stockbroker with a major New York Wall Street firm. Oh yeah, I was. I did. I know. I'm sorry. I feel I feel bad to this day. But my excuse is, well, I thought I was really smart. I was 27 years old. I may have even been 26 when I started. So, while I thought I was smart, uh yeah, you know what I was. <laughs> I was naive. I was a stockbroker, and back then, back then, still that way today, you ate what you killed. You had to go out there and score new clients, and they didn't help you do that. It was smiling and dialing, bugging family members, joining service clubs, doing whatever you could to get your name out there. Heck, I even advertised on the Bruce Williams show for a while which actually turned out to be a good thing because it got me into talk radio. And I'd never thought of being in talk radio. Worked out. But here's the thing. The industry was and is a brutal, brutal place for those who make a living or try to make a living there. I'll give you an example. I was hired in 1983. Uh, by Dean Witter, a member of the Sears Financial Network. And I was hired along with 15 other people, 14 other people. There were 15 in our group, I believe. No, there were 16. Yeah, because we had even number of desks uh, in this big bullpen area. Two years later, two years later, one, one of that original class survived and made it to the coveted window office. And that was me. However, I didn't last long in the industry. I went to work for a regional firm for a while where I could get a bigger payout. As a matter of fact, the regional firm wanted me so badly, they, for my first six months, I believe, gave me a hundred percent payout on any new commissions I generated. So, you know, that was, that was good, but it wasn't long before I quit my six-figure job to take on a, (laughs) I was thinking really quickly, take a four-figure job. (laughs) Yeah, no, four figures in radio. Got divorced shortly after. Uh, But it it was such a tough business because I had to sell people things that as I learned more about the business, I just didn't feel good about what I was doing. And why do I bring up this past story? 
from my dark past? Well, it's because of something that I read recently in one of the the industry publications. Wells Fargo Advisors, they're a brokerage firm. They pay their brokers on commission. Well, to make decent money at Wells Fargo, you have to be in the top 20% of producers, according to this article. So that means that, and because here's what, the, here's the deal. I'll go back. If you are under the top 20%, you get paid at 22% of your commissions. All right. And their 20% or their break point is $12,500 in monthly commissions. That is about a quarter of a million dollars in mutual fund sales every month or about $3 million every year at 5% commission. If you only sell a quarter of a million dollars, only <laughs> $3 million in mutual funds every year, you only take home a bit over $32,000 a year. Your, I'm sorry, your gross is only a bit over $32,000 a year. That's about $15 per hour. And if that's the 20, if that, if that's the 20% break point, then that means that 80% of Wells Fargo's brokers make that or less. Do you see a conflict of interest developing here? A conflict between your interests, the clients to get the most inexpensive and best products for you and the broker's incentive to support his family or her family. Do you see the, the, the problem? Because think about this for a minute. So if you're selling mutual funds that pay 5% and it looks like you are going to end up short of your goal and you really need to get up into the 15,000 in commissions, gross commissions or more to support your family, or maybe 20,000, you have some incentive to find more expensive products to sell, don't you? Oh, maybe I need to sell an 8% non-publicly traded real estate trust or something, private placement or whatever it might be. I Or maybe I need to go out and sell an indexed annuity and get a 9% gross commission instead of that lousy little five from those loaded mutual funds. Or this was something I swear to you we were told to do. I swear to you, we were told to do this. Wish I had a tape recorder. But the assistant manager would run up and down the aisles on cold call nights screaming, churn them, burn them. And the message was, get out your books, find a client who hasn't traded something in a while, and figure out a reason to sell them something new. You see, the incentives are misaligned. The industry cannot act in your best interests because it is not in the best interests of the people in the industry to do what's right for you. It's in their best interests to do what's right for them and their families. They think they're doing what's right by selling you these products because they're taken care of number one. But you should be number one. And that's what's wrong with the financial services industry these days. There are not very many 
financial advice providers who will always and must always put your interests ahead of theirs. Just doesn't happen very often. They're hard to find. They're really hard to find. So uh, it behooves you to vet them very, very carefully. How are you paid? Do you collect commissions? Do you sell commission products? Those are such important questions. Are you always required to act as my fiduciary? And if they say yes, would you mind putting that in writing, those exact words, I am always required to act as your fiduciary, signed Mr. or Mrs. Broker. My guess is they won't do it. You got to be careful. You've got to be careful. And I'm not just criticizing Wells Fargo. It's just that the statistics happen to be on Wells Fargo. The situation is similar, whether it be uh, <clears throat> whether it be Morgan Stanley or some of the, the, the whether it be LPL or Ameriprise or Voya or Edward Jones or whomever, the incentive is still the same. They need to make a sale to put food on the table, to put a roof over their family's head, to pay for the nice car. And you're the one, you're the one who could very well pay for that. Probably will. Just need to be careful. Just be careful. I mean, there are a lot of these companies now that are moving toward a fiduciary model, but you got to make sure you're getting the fiduciary model. And then when you get to the fiduciary model, you still need to find out what they charge. Because some of these far firms, farms, <laughs> some of these firms charge a lot. Go to talkingrealmoney.com um, slash help. And we've got a list of a lot of these guys and what they charge. We've got a form you can do. You can download to interview them, all kinds of stuff. Plus, you can also call anytime at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255 to ask questions. You can send them in at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. And we really should answer, let's answer two questions before we call this a podcast, shall we? Let's start here. The subject, rebalancing. Hi, Tom and Dan. Dan? Hope that's just a typo. Don? Don. Love your podcast where you drill into our heads the proper way to invest day in and day out. Only complaint is your podcast is too short. Well, this will be a longer one. I have a question about rebalancing frequency. When asked how often one should rebalance, every pundit will have their opinions and then say how often they do as if it was a God-given answer. Assuming there are no costs involved in rebalancing and it can be done effortlessly, what does the history of the actual market, say 20 years of data, tell you the variance would be for any world stock index fund changing by X? You select a good number for X. Wouldn't that frequency be a better target to use for rebalancing than arbitrarily picking a number? I am convinced that the robot advisors set this number for their program to do it automatically. Unfortunately, none of the major brokerages make rebalancing as easy 
by offering a one-click purchase that Amazon has, except for one not-so-popular online brokerage that I know of today? Well, that's the first part of the question. So let me answer that part of the question. There are a lot of numbers that have been tossed around. There are two that I think make sense. There have been a number of studies that have shown that rebalancing too often provides little or no benefit. So for most people, we think the best answer is just stick with every year. It's easy. You can set a date on the calendar. You can pick up, you know, your anniversary. Maybe it'll help you remember it. Your birthday, whatever it might be. Just pick a time, pick a date every year to rebalance. One. The other number that we have seen some evidence of, and there are variations on this theme ever so slightly, but the number is about 5%. Once your portfolio gets out of line by more than 5%, it's a good time to move everything back to where it was. Uh, none of those are absolute by any measure because you got a lot of people measuring it different ways, but the 5% number has stood the test of time as well as any. So I would use that. Second part of the question is I've heard pundits say you don't have to rebalance too frequently. Right. Question, what is too frequent and why? Again, assuming there's no effort and no cost for doing it. I can think of one negative. Too much attention to your portfolio will make you start tinkering with it, like looking at the Dow every day and getting emotionally engaged. But if a program can do it, why not offer that capability? Your thoughts? Because it's it hasn't been shown to provide any benefit. If you want to do it more often, it hasn't. It also hasn't been shown conclusively to have any detriment. So, I don't know why you couldn't if you wanted to, but why? Sometimes we can do things, even if they're automated, but why bother? Uh, another reason, possible reason, see, the, the, all of my answers apply only to tax-advantaged accounts. If you're rebalancing in a taxable account, there's a big reason not to do it very often and to do it only when absolutely essential, and that is the fact that you create taxable events, and you've got to do some tax managing. So. Thanks for your question. I really appreciate it. Again, you can call 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, or you can send a question in at talkingrealmoney.com on the contact form. Our next topic, risk parity portfolios. What is your opinion of risk parity portfolios like the golden butterfly? something somebody made up, for beyond immediate emergency funds or during retirement? That's the question. It's a nice short question. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, let, a couple of things. Let's start with the Golden Butterfly Portfolio. That is a, uh, a portfolio that is 40% in equities, split between large and small generally, 40% in bonds, split between long and short generally, and a commodity portfolio, which are hard to find, so a lot of people use gold as that commodity. Well, I have a problem. I know the idea is they're supposed to reduce your apparent volatility, and yeah, okay, commodities have shown some, there's some evidence that they reduce volatility. That's not the issue anymore, though. At least with your bonds, with your bonds, 
you get some income. With your stocks, you should get some income and some growth. What do you get with commodities? What do you get? Do commodities pay dividends? No. Do commodities do commodities grow more valuable? Yes, some of them grow, like corn, but do they grow more valuable? And let me give you an example. You put your a, a bushel of corn in a basket and you put it in a closet in a shed and you leave it there for five years dry can't can't germinate did that corn in and of itself become more valuable no the only way it became more valuable is if there was a shortage of corn and your corn somebody was willing to pay more for it in the future because there was less corn to have gold same thing does gold become more valuable no never has not really it fluctuates but it doesn't become more valuable. And sometimes gold can be pretty volatile. Sometimes. I just think this is, I think this is trying too hard. I think these kinds of portfolios are trying too hard. I do not believe in owning commodities in a portfolio. I just don't see the point. I want something that pays me to own it either through potential expected growth in the future, because the company's, themselves can and have historically generally become more valuable or pays a dividend or pays income through interest commodities gold precious metals do none of that in addition risk parity portfolios have another name you may know them as hedge funds well there's a ton of evidence that shows that hedge funds have underperformed just buying and holding indexes. Yes, they may do it with reduced volatility, but they make a lot less money or they have in aggregate. Hedge funds have done badly and they have long periods where they do very badly, which I think at least reduces the value of that standard deviation reduction. And a perfect example is a fund that I, 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 well, I don't enjoy, but I regularly use as an example. And it's a fund from a group that has some pretty good, smart funds. Um, the fund, well, it's, there, there are a couple of them. I'm going to use the, actually the lower cost one for this, uh, this comparison. It's called the AQR Multi-Asset Fund. Now, the AQR Multi-Asset Fund is supposed to be a fund that can go long, can go short, that uh, tries to diversify its way into a risk parity position. They can go all kinds of ways. They're hedging. That's a hedge fund. Really, basically, it's a hedge fund. They cost, or it costs, 1.5% a year. That is re ridiculous. And get this, uh, even though I understand the theory behind it, I do, I understand the theory, the returns have been pretty sad. Uh, in 2018, they lost money. In 2020, 
the fund is absolutely flat. Its five-year return is a 5.5% return every year. So they're not giving you anything in return to compensate, really, except for a slightly lower standard deviation. And it's here's the thing. You can create risk parity with balance. Their standard deviation, remember, 5.5% five-year return, standard deviation, that's a measure of volatility, 9.5%. Let's just use something really straightforward and inexpensive like the Vanguard Balanced Index Fund. That is 60% stocks, 40% bonds, Low volatility because of the bonds. See, it's a simple, simple way to do it. Expense ratio of 0.07% compared to 1.5%. It has, has, everything's past tense. It has provided a five-year average annual return of 11%. With a standard deviation, comparing apples to apples now in terms of the period, higher at 11.86%, but still far, 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 far below, far below a stock portfolio of about 17%. So you're giving up some volatility. You're taking on some more volatility. But you you would have, over the past five years, more than doubled your return. Are you being compensated for that? Absolutely. You want a little less risk? Add some more bonds. Too much gimmickry out there. I am not a big fan of gimmicks. Investing should be simple. It doesn't need gimmicks. In a lot of cases, a lot of firms get into this gimmickry to make themselves valuable. But it's not, I, I just, I have a hard time from a very logical, sensible perspective giving a lot of credence to any of this. I understand they have evidence, but there's, evidence and then there's sense you got to balance those two too and i just don't think this risk parity concept has stood the test of reality has stood the test of actual performance maybe great in theory but how is it performed in actuality disappointing i think Thank you for your questions, all of you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, all of you. Please tell friends, neighbors, relatives, if you get an opportunity. I know you're not going to see many people this holiday season, but when you talk to them online, say, hey, you bored? Listen to Don and Tom's podcast at TalkingRealMoney.com. And for those of you who have a question that is far more involved than we can get into through the forms online or the phone calls, Please remember that when we started Vestry about 11 years ago, wow, it is 11 years, we didn't want to be like every other investment advice firm. We know a lot of people just need some help, not ongoing help, although more people need ongoing help than think they do. We will help anybody get started. Answer some of those big questions. Go over your hodgepodge portfolio. You know you have one. And it's free. It's not like a free consultation where you're just going to get a little meeting where if you if you hire us, blah, 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 you know, you don't get that. We're going to help you. There's no cost. There's no obligation. And I guarantee you, there will be no high pressure sales pitch. As one of the founders of the firms of the firm, I can guarantee that. So go to vestory.com, v-e-s-t-o-r-y.com. Set up an appointment or call 800-386-3004. That gets you to Vestory. 
The number to call in your questions is 855-935-TALK. I think we're done. Have a great rest of your weekend, week, whenever you listen to this. Have a great holiday if you're listening during the holiday season. Just have a great life. Thanks for listening. I'm Don McDonald. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That should keep the lawyers happy.